I think that when we look at our, our biological relationships as something that is, is a living relationship that can grow and change and evolve and that you know we have responsibility in making that happen, I don't want to say that it's better, but there's just something there that, you know, that isn't there with friends. Katie. You are listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Delbout, and thank you so much, as always, for listening and spending so much time with me and your ears. It's amazing. Doing this podcast is my favorite thing to do, and I'm so grateful for the guests and the people who listen and meeting all of you. It's the best, and I'm so grateful that I get to do it. Anyway, if you're new, welcome. This is what I do. This podcast usually comes out on Wednesdays. Think really raw and real, unfiltered, long-form conversations. Sometimes they're two hours. Sometimes they're three hours. Sometimes they're less, but they're always a good time, at least for me. All right. Today on the podcast, I have a repeat guest, but this guest is someone who came on when I first started doing the podcast back in 2013. Let me just set the scene for you. I had just started this podcast. I maybe had like four episodes under my belt, and I met this woman in an elevator in New York City, and I knew who she was. I saw her from across the way, and I knew her by her blog name, which was bexlife.com. So we're in this crowded elevator, and I turned to her, and I say, hi, Bexlife. <laughs> and she was like, uh, hi. She was so sweet, though, but she was a little bit, like, caught off guard. And since then, we've become great friends. She did my podcast as soon as I got home. We talked over Skype, and we kept in touch in the Internet sort of a way ever since. And it was so great to have this conversation with her. It's really long, it's really raw, it's really real. She gets into things about her story and her past that she told me after, I think she says this at the end of the interview, that she's never said before. And she was like, I can't believe you pulled these things out of me. But she has a great story about how she was a teen mom and now she has five children and she is just so wise about parenthood and and motherhood and body image and health and wellness and entrepreneurship and just so many things and her family story is crazy it's so fascinating and interesting and you'll hear all of it and I don't even want to spoil it but it's she's just an inspiring person and one of my favorite people in general she's giving some really grounded advice on parenting and motherhood we talk about spirituality and religion quite a bit it's just an interesting episode and and I hope you really really enjoy it all right I want to get right into that with Bex but first I have to thank our sponsor Aptive Aptive is such a cool app you guys I love it it's like the Netflix for fitness classes and I love me some fitness classes but you can also you know use it at the gym for 
elliptical and treadmill running and running outside. It gives you these workouts with really great music. It's not, you know, like stock music. It's actually like really good music. And you can curate that. There's 100 plus classes that are added each month. And there's a variety of classes. You know, you can do yoga. You can do a short one, a long one, an easy one, a medium one, a hard one. They're great. So if you want to try Aptiv, you can try it for free for 30 days, which is amazing. You might as well, right? You just have to use the code Let It Out. So you just go to Aptiv.com and enter the code Let It Out at checkout. That's Aptiv.com. Again, it will be in the show notes, but here's the thing. This is how it's spelled, just in case you're wondering, because I keep spelling it wrong. You know, it can be very confusing, but it's A A P. TIV.com or, you know, just go to the show notes, but make sure you use let it out at checkout. Okay, here's the thing. After this interview with Bex, there's a mini interview because another sponsor of the show, something I just discovered and I'm so into, it's this all natural medicine. And the really, really cool thing about it is you're going to hear all about exactly what it is. It's called Genexa Health. And I'm really excited about this. They are actually giving my listeners a 15% off code. So if you want to try this amazing medicine for if you have a cold or the flu and there's a stress relief formula, you're going to hear all about it because one of the founders of the company is on the podcast. Right after Bex, you're going to hear this little mini interview with him, and he's amazing. His name is David. We really hit it off. We're going to be friends now. He's amazing. So, okay, 15% off if you do want to try that. And the code, the link, you know, to get to that will be in the show notes as well. So use that link. And then to get the 15% off, you just use the code Katie15. So that's my name. Hi, I'm Katie. Use Katie15 to get 15% off your purchases with Genexa Health. So you'll hear more about what Genexa Health is in the interview at the end. So stick around for that. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear from Bex. We have this really long, beautiful conversation. Honestly, one of my favorite podcast interviews I've ever done in my life. And then after that, stick around for David's little interview. We're going to chat. It's super quick, and you'll get to learn about Genexa Health, see if it's something you might want to try. If not, that's fine, but just check it out. And then right after that, I'm going to come back to tell you who's coming up on the podcast next week and just get ready because it's something I'm really, 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 really excited about and I want to tell you. And I'm going to tell you what the emoji for the episode is, so you'll definitely want to stick around for that. So enjoy my conversation with Bex, and I'll talk to you with David and then again after that. Welcome back to the podcast, Bex. I can't believe that you're here. And it was over about four years ago now that we met in an elevator. And I said, hi, Bex Life, and totally freaked you out. <laughs> it didn't freak me out. I was I was excited to meet the girl in the gold shiny pants. The gold shiny pants. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like four years ago. And so much has happened since then. And I... Got to see you in person again at my book launch, which was so sweet that you were there. And it was so great to give you a hug. And yeah. now you have a book coming out and so much has happened since then. So it's just so good to have you back here. Thanks for doing the podcast again. Oh, absolutely. And can we just pause for a second and say how awesome it is that we were both at the Hay House Writers Workshop when we met. Yes. And now you have a published book with Hay House and mine is coming out next month. That is very, very cool. It's very cool and very <laughs> exciting. Us. 
Yeah, yeah. So much good came from that writer's workshop. I met you. I met so many other friends and guests on the podcast. You know, obviously I got my book deal, but like so many good things happened from that, like even beyond that it had anything to do with the book. Um, So that's, yeah, it's so cool. So tell me everything. Catch me up. I want to know about the writing process. I want to know about this book. Um, I really kind of want to maybe start there, but also, yeah, catch me up to like what is present for you today. Well, gosh, since I since I was on the podcast last, I had another baby, so now I'm up yeah. to five. So that's pretty cool. I adopted, I think, three goats, um, two pigs, two ducks, and three barn cats. So that's going on. So my family has grown quite considerably, and now I'm about to have my book baby, which is far painful than any labor. I, I have to say it because it was it was like one of the, the hardest and. Um, most daunting experiences of my life writing this book and um but it was something that I guess had to be done it was something that you know my soul was um demanding that I do so it's um it's called you have four minutes to change your life and it is a collection of 27 meditations and stories from my life in all areas uh, from all areas grief relationships um, body image, all the, all the things, and I'm teaching people how to meditate on them and how to find their own personal bliss through my experiences and my journey. So I hope everyone loves it as much as I do. Yeah, I love that. So it's been a labor of love, and you've been working mm-hmm. on this book for I know Ever. you had yeah forever, <laughs> and I think for. Years ago, when we were first talking, were you working on a different book or a different topic? Um, I was, yeah. The the book that I went into Hay House with was, um, or the Hay House workshop yeah. was called The Accidental White Girl. Yeah. And it was, yeah, and it was a memoir about um, me growing up and not knowing my biological father and not knowing that my biological father was black and I was um, raised in a white household and told that I was white my whole life and I didn't have confirmation of the um, of the, the real story until I was 32 years old. Wow. So um, that's what that book was about and uh, when I went, so the Hay House Writers Workshop happened right after my the father who raised me um, passed away. Um, it was about a month after, uh, he died of cancer and him, his passing was what gave me permission to finally tell the story because it was out of respect for, Mm. for him that uh, I didn't talk about it publicly because he considered me to be his child. Um, that's what he always told me and he raised me as such and loved me very much. And, um, I didn't want to disrespect him. So, or just, you know, just dishonor him in any way. So I was writing that book, um, and in that process, my mother found out about it, and she was very unhappy, and uh, the writer's workshop was in May, and then, or June, I forget, and my mother found out in July, and uh, July 29th was the last time that I spoke to her. Um, She just disconnected with me uh, entirely, and... Shortly after that, out of nowhere, um, she was on vacation in North Carolina. It was in November. Uh, she suffered a massive stroke. And I flew down there with my sister. That was the first time I had seen her since we stopped talking. 
And I was with her for 10 days and she passed at the end of that 10 days. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. So she, um, so she passed and the thing about the book was, and it was so important to me to write that book and it was important enough for me to suffer that, that, you know, divide in our relationship because it was a story that I felt like I really had to share. It was very much my story, even though she felt that it was just hers and I needed to get that out. That being said, um, by her deathbed and, you know, being there when she passed and feeling her energy leave her body. And, and I've talked about this before and it was, it was almost the identical experience that I had with, with my dad. Um, it was as if when she left her, you know, earthly shell, all of the, and I don't want to say pettiness because it was something that, I mean, there was deep hurt and there were, there were deep issues that, um, you know, we shared and we butted heads on. Um, but it seemed like all this earthly stuff, this stuff that's connected to who we are when we're here or this life or our circumstances, it, in an instant it disappeared and it was mm-hmm. lifted from me. And I felt like I didn't have to tell that story anymore. Not in that way. I didn't have to write the book. Um, while I was there, you know, she was there visiting a girlfriend who she was very deeply and spiritually connected to. And, uh, she was part of a writer circle there. And it's these women, these older women who are, they're writers and they're poets and they're kind of witchy and they, you know, they're Reiki masters and they do all like the, the full moon rituals are like, so up my mom's alley. It's my mom's tribe. And, um, one of the women, her best friend pulled me aside and said, you know, my, your mother, because I had sent my mom a portion of the book. I wanted her to see it. And I wrote her a letter that she never responded to, but she said, your mother brought that letter and the book to our writer circle. And we told her that it was your story to share and that she needed to let it go and Mm. she needed to forgive you. And she was ready to do that. So that was, um, a conversation that we never got to have because of her massive stroke. She was completely paralyzed and unable to speak. She can only communicate by blinking her eyes. Mm. Um, so she did get short messages out to us, but we didn't talk about the book or any of that stuff. There wasn't time and it wasn't practical. Um, but, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I wasn't writing that book anymore. That was it. And it was, it was, when she was in the hospital, I was talking to my agent. Like I had all these appointments because, you know, she had a stroke. No one expected this. So I had all these appointments that I was trying to fulfill professionally. And, um, I was still talking about the book. I was talking about it to Huffington Post. I was talking about it with my agent and I came home and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. And a couple months later I was talking to someone and they were, we were sharing, um, you know, what healed us. And I was talking about my meditations and the work that I wanted to do and, and that I still wanted to tell some of my stories, but only in relationship to how it would serve other people. And they're like, uh, just like, write a book about meditations and share some stories. It was so simple. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how it happened. So it, it, I flipped the script and it turned out better. Wow, that's really cool. So do you feel now that some of those stories or your story about identity and race and how you were raised and everything you went through with that, do you think that's a story you might tell in a more traditional way in the future? Or do you think you've kind of processed it in a way on your own and it maybe doesn't need to be shared. How are you feeling about it now? I think 
the issues like right now if you went asking me in this moment the issues about the race stuff and me identifying as a certain race or or not feeling belonging that's my story right now that I, I talk about when it comes up and it's relevant and I mm-hmm. think it's going to serve. I talk about it. But the the bigger story, I think that w- what connects me to other people is that sense of not belonging or that sense of not being good enough or the sense of being so different that you're an outcast or you're unacceptable. And that's how I connect with people. So I tell that part of the story because I grew up in a town that was segregated and um, I heard the n-word all the time used by my schoolmates as young as uh, kindergarten and this was in new jersey i wasn't like in the wow. deep south like this is this is new jersey um working class town and um it was uh it was confusing for me because i knew that i was different and i knew that i looked different and people pointed it out but i got a different message at home and then i got a different message at church and you know i can go to church and feel like everybody's one and we're all loved and you know it doesn't matter if we're different because we're all the same on the inside and we're all god's children like you have this direct connection to god you're special you're infinite like those were the messages i was getting from church and from my parents but then i would go out into society and it would be very different and i think that that happens with people when you know are overweight or underweight, when they speak a different language or they have an accent, when they look different for any reason, um, that is universal, that sense of, you know, wanting to belong and, and then, you know, not always feeling like you do. Um, mm. So maybe I'll tell it in that context. I don't know. I can't predict the future. I'd love another book deal, though. So yeah. <laughs> if you want to help me with that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But well, yeah. if agents who are listening, Bex is available <laughs> to write a second book. <laughs> What about your birth father? Did you you found out who he was? Did you actively seek him out? Is he um, part of your life now? So I, another very um, I guess serendipitous thing that happened is I I uh, did the DNA test with Ancestry dot com, mm-hmm. and I got the results while I was at the hospital with my mother. So that was that confirmation came in just a few days before she passed. Yeah. And I read them alone in the middle of the night and it said, you know, you're 40% African and then some other, like Nigerian and there were some other African countries thrown in there and then English, Irish, my mother. Um, so what happened almost immediately after getting those results is that I started to get contacted by other family members. So not only did I find my father's family, um, the, the, you know, uh, living in Detroit, um, all black, you know, from his side. I also found my mother who was adopted. I found her entire birth family on both sides, her mother's side and her father's side. Yeah. It was really amazing. So I have not yet pursued finding my biological father. I know his name. I have a phone number. I don't know if he's living or not. Um, I know I have brothers and sisters, at least one brother and one sister, and um, I haven't pursued that because I think that um, to be very vulnerable and honest, um, I don't think I can take another rejection, mm. you know, because uh, he doesn't know about me. Mm. And um, but it has been interesting meeting other parts of my birth family because I've never uh, I've never had family. I've never known anyone that looked like me. Mm. And uh, I have half sisters. I have my mom, but they all look they look so different from me. So it's, and, and 
even my kids, they, they look more like their dad than they look like me. So it's, um, it's been a really cool experience seeing people who look like my mom. And, and it was, it's funny because my whole life kind of knowing that my dad wasn't my dad, you know, this tall blonde Swedish gentleman with blue eyes, like he clearly like I, I, he couldn't have made me, um, kind of knowing that, but being told a different story, I kept telling myself that it didn't matter. Even up until really recently saying like, you know, it doesn't, my biology doesn't matter. I had these people who really loved me. They weren't the greatest parents. They always didn't do the right thing, but they, they did love me and they tried their best. Um, but I'm starting to feel more and more like the biology is important. Mm. And I just, I think that there's a spiritual bond that comes with that, that genetic bond. And I wasn't able to, you know, feel it completely in my life. And my mother never did. And I would be okay with it never happening because I feel very fulfilled and I feel very loved and I'm surrounded by an amazing family that I've created. But um, there are missing pieces. There Mm. are that I'd like to explore when I'm ready. That's really interesting. It's really interesting having this conversation about family because I think we talk about, especially during the holidays and, you know, which when this is airing now, it's it's not that season and that's kind of a couple months in the past right now. But I think there's so much talk about, you know, Friendsgiving and, you know, the exhaustion that comes with being around your family and, you know, wanting to be with the family you create for yourselves. And I think that's really powerful, but, but it is powerful to hear you mention that biology is important and it is something that, you know, we should at least be aware of and, and grateful for. And not to say that the family you create or the family that, you know, loves you regardless isn't as important, but they're both important maybe. And that's just interesting to hear. It's, you know what, it's the family, what I'm learning as I get older and I, and I step more into, um, into more self-confidence, a person who feels like she knows something about something, you know, I'm starting to learn that your biological family is in a way a family you create too. Like you create those relationships, you nurture them, you, you know, feed them with honesty and integrity and compassion. Um, I've struggled a lot with the people that I'm connected to biologically, especially my, my older sister who was struggling with addiction and went into a very dark place after my mother died and, and is now um, two years clean from alcoholism. Um, I struggled a lot with, with uh, our relationship and I was ready to chalk it up as like, you know, it's just never gonna work. Like we're just never gonna connect, we're too different. And that biology held us together, thank God, because now we have a very real relationship that we have to nurture and work on. And I think that when we look at our, our biological relationships as something that is, is a living relationship that can grow and change and evolve and that you know we have responsibility in making that happen, it's even, I don't wanna say that it's better, but there's just something there that, you know, that isn't there with friends. And, and you know, there's been time in my life when I couldn't be with my mom and, and we, we couldn't, meet on that level like we, we just couldn't get along and we stopped speaking for long periods of time but um when it worked it was like magic yeah. because there's all the elements so mm. I'm I'm big on family and I want to you know I want to keep them close I'm, I'm never going to write anyone off again you know yeah. I almost lost my mother without seeing her ever you know yeah. so yeah yeah that's such a good story so the conversation growing up then I'm just so curious did your mom just tell you that your 
um, stepdad was your dad and clearly you didn't look like him? Did you start asking questions? You said you found out that your biological father was black when you were 30. How did you find Mm -hmm. that out? Well, my mother, um, the the story isn't, and why she didn't want me to, to write the book was that I was a product of an affair. She was married to the man who raised me and she, um, she got pregnant with me and they decided that she told him right off the bat, she said, this baby is going to be half black. Um, what do you want to do? He said, we're going to give the baby up for adoption. She agreed. So they hid the pregnancy from family, from neighbors, from even my older sister who is 10 years older than me. And, um, so they hid the pregnancy and they planned to give me up for adoption and they had, um, they, they were planning to deliver at a, a Catholic hospital that was far away from, from where we lived. So I don't know if it was divine intervention or, or what happened. All the paperwork was signed. Um, my mother ended up having an emergency C-section with me and was in uh, terrible distress. So she was, she almost died. I almost died. It was a very dramatic delivery. And, um, but when I, when I was born, it was very apparent that I was a mixed race baby. The nurses whisked me away. My mother didn't see me. Um, and they took me to the nursery and the adoption was, was, um, going as planned. My father, before leaving the hospital, asked to to see me, my dad, and um, the nurses advised against it. She's like, this is not your baby. You shouldn't see her. It just complicates things. And he's like, I just, I just want to see her once before, you know, we go. Um, so they agreed to let him hold me. And he said the only time he's ever talked about any of this with me, because he insisted that I was his child from, from day one, he said that... Um, and this is quoting him, Jesus spoke to me in that moment and told me that you were mine and you were mine to keep and take care of. And mm-hmm. that's the end. And that's the end of the story. That's it. <laughs> like, that's what he gave me. He's like, and that's it. Um, and he named me Rebecca. It was a biblical name. My middle name is Lynn after his middle name because my mother like didn't have a part in it. And um, he decided that we're taking me home. And Aww. of course it was to my mother's like delight because she didn't want to give her baby away. Um, and that was it. They went home and, and told everyone that I was theirs and growing up, I got taller and taller and, you know, had tan skin and curly hair and my little, and every, I grew taller than everyone in my family, including my father. And, um, I had my little white sister that was his and it was really awkward and it, it, it put us in a lot of awkward circumstances. And I think that my parents maybe should have discussed it with me. Um, but they, uh, just said, no, 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 no. You probably just look like, you know, your grandmother and, and or <laughs> from the side of the family that we don't know because my mother was adopted. Um, they would say things like that. So, but it was rough. I kind of, once I hit teenage, my teenage years, I knew I identified as black. All of my friends were black. The culture that I was, that I immersed myself in was, um, black culture. And I didn't, um, and I, I think that was in part because I was so un- I wasn't accepted by my white classmates and my friends. So it was, you know, I was accepted by the black kids in school. And um, yeah, but it was unconfirmed until, you know, 32 years old when I confronted my mom and said, you have to tell me or we can't go forward. Wow. Wow. What a fascinating, interesting story. And it's so great that you're able to, you know, it's clear, you know, like you said, you don't necessarily have to tell it in the way you just told me in your book or in a memoir. 
at this point, maybe in the future, um, you know, it's, like I said, fascinating. I would definitely read it. <laughs> but it's cool that, you know, what you got from that experience brought you to the work that you do now, just not feeling like you fit in. And I don't have a, you know, exact story to that at all. However, I can totally relate to that feeling of not feeling, you know, like you're enough or fitting in. And mm. that is such a translatable sentiment, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not fun being a misfit. You know, it's it's romanticized to be different, to be an outsider. And But I remember very vividly sitting in sixth grade class. And, and you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in my life. I mean, when this, your story starts out that way, you know, like, the household isn't right. So there was a lot of, um, there was poverty. There was, uh, you know, verbal abuse. There was neglect. There was a lot, like my mother wasn't happy. She felt trapped in a place. She left several times and we were raised by my older sister at some points. Like there was a lot going on that, that led to me, um, you know, having anxiety, severe depression. I was suicidal as a young teen. This, this feeling that nothing was stable and I had no place was so strong that I didn't want to be there and I, or here like on earth. And I remember sitting in class in sixth grade and it was really in, in the middle of when things got really bad. And I had just gotten home from a group home, um, that I'd been placed in because I was, I had attempted suicide when I was just turning 11. Oh, and I'm sitting in class in front of a girl named Shannon or in back of a girl named Shannon. And I was looking at her long blonde hair and she always just looked so pretty, like sixth grade pretty, you know, like long blonde hair and like her clothes were always adorable. And she had these beautiful freckles and this round face. And I, and I'm sitting there thinking like, what's it like to be Shannon? She must have no problems. She's mm-hmm. so pretty and everyone loves her and she must go home. And like her dad was a police officer and her mother was a stay at home mom. And I would fantasize about her life all the time sitting in back of her. And, um, it makes me sad to think that, to think that I just felt like because of who I was or where I came from or what I looked like, I would never be acceptable. And, you know, intellectually, I know different now, but there's pangs of that. And that's what I draw on when I'm trying to create a meditation for someone for anxiety or for grief or for loss or for bullying. I've done them or for body acceptance. Like all of these things stem back to me um, or go back to me feeling, you know, that there wasn't a place for me and I needed to create that place for myself. Um, And that was my safe grace. Like prayer and meditation allowed me to be in a space where it was me and God and no one else. And that was all that mattered. mm -hmm. And the greatest gift that my mother ever gave to me was telling me that, um, I had a direct connection with God and that no man, no minister, no guru could ever come between that. And when I talked, he listened and he could listen to my heart even when I was silent. So that made me feel in my weakest moments, powerful, or at least that I had enough that I could sustain. And that's where I go when I meditate, even in my little four minute ones that like my funny little ones that I put on YouTube, like I'm going there. These are, these are the things that healed me as simple as they seem. So growing up and everything you went through, you know, from the age that you were 11 on to your teenage years, were how, what were your tools then? And how did you find meditation and prayer? Was that something that your mom was always into? You said that, you know, at the end of her life, she was 
you know, in this writer's group and into, you know, the sorts of things that, that we're into now, but did you, did you grow up that way or how did you find that? So prayer had been a part of my life, um, as an everyday thing from the time that I was, that I can remember. Uh, my, my mother, um, was a spiritual seeker. She was someone who was always exploring and trying new things in art and spirituality and religion. And she and my, my dad both, I, I guess it was right before I was born, um, became born again. And I don't know how much she really wanted to do that. And it was, it was her what idea. That, what does that mean? They were born again Christians and we belong to an evangelical church. So they were rebaptized into the Christian faith. Okay. And, um, and I think it was more of my dad's idea than my mom's. I think that he was um, more enthusiastic about it. And, but she, she went all in and I was raised in the church and that was, there was a lot of good stuff that came out of that and a lot of confusing things that um, even today I'm, I'm really not down with, but that's, you know, it's fine. But I got a lot out of it. And, and one of those things was that lesson that, you know, I had this direct connection to God. Uh, our first church didn't even have a minister. It was basically just a big Bible study where we just went and talked about the Bible and debated and, or the, you know, the adults did and the kids got to watch. Um, kids were always very much a part of the service. And um, it was, it was very cool. And for, as as far as the praying goes, it wasn't something that we did at night. We didn't kneel down at night and, you know, say a, a prayer. We didn't memorize prayers. We didn't ask for things. It was really about this conversation that you always have with an ever-present God that's always there to support you. So when I was 15, I was working in a used bookstore with my mother, um, helping her clean it out and move it to a new location. And I found a copy of Be Here Now on the bookshelf. And I had no idea, by Ram Dass. I had oh no my idea. Gosh. I just went to the Ram Dass retreat in Hawaii. Did you? How was it? It was amazing. He was like oh. so sweet and nice. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. So, <laughs> that's so funny. So I found this book and it was beautiful. It was purple and it had all these crazy drawings in it. And it, and because I, you know, I was, I guess, born a spiritual seeker and I'd grown up in that environment. And, and even though my parents were um, evangelical Christians, we were very much exposed to everything. Um, you know, we had the Bhagavad Gita in the house and, you know, different Buddhist texts. And our house was always, it was kind of like a grand central station for every type and color of, of, you know, person. Um, so I just, I saw a lot and I experienced a lot. And in this, this true Christian tradition, you know, what I felt a true Christian was and what my parents explained to me is that, you know, we're all God's children and, and we have no place to judge and it's our, you know, we're just here to love each other and to learn from each other. So I, um, found this book <laughs> by Ram Dass and I, didn't have money to buy it, so this would be like me not practicing my Christian values. And I shoplifted it. I stole the book, <laughs> and I, I just had to have it. And I think he would forgive me, but I just yeah. had to have it. Um, and I took it home, and I devoured it. I was so fascinated. I would copy the pictures and draw them in my sketchbook, and copy the verses. And it introduced me for the first time um, to a different way of praying, a different way of looking at God, a different um, approach to prayer, which I, I started calling meditation. 
I never studied with a guru. I didn't know that you were supposed to sit down on a pillow for 20 minutes or an hour. I didn't know that people, you know, traveled to India to learn how to do it or Bali. I just thought that there was a way that I could talk to God with, but also turning it in on myself and talk to myself as a part of God and reflect on who I was. Cause before then prayer was always me talking to this outside entity. Um, you know, asking him to take my pain away or asking for guidance or just talking, you know, giving him my gripes at the end of the day. But now it was about me for the first time. And that was exciting to me as a teenager. Like, okay, like something could be about me and like there's this idea of self-exploration and, and personal growth. And I have, without fail, because it's just part of the conversation I have in my head, prayed and me or meditated every single day of my life since I've been 15. Um, so it's 20, almost, you know, almost 24 years now. <laughs> oh my gosh, saying that's like, wow. Um, but it's, it's just something that I do. Um, whenever there's a conflict or something that I need to, um, a, a time that I need to find peace or a time that I need to prepare myself, I sit down and, and I have a, an active conversation and I look for guidance and I ask for guidance. So that's what meditation is for me. And that's what I, what I try to um, tell other people is that it doesn't have to be one way. It's just about getting quiet, having the important conversations, allowing the thoughts, approaching everything with curiosity, taking time for yourself, connecting to yourself. Because when you connect to yourself, you connect to the entire universe. Mm. Wow, that's so great. So is that what really got you through, you know, those younger years of, you know, after you were 11 and not feeling like you fit in with your family or your community? Was it turning to meditation? It was, medi the meditation was a, is a, a vehicle, it's a tool for me to find connection. So yes, it was meditation for me that, that healed me or helped me. I don't even want to say healed because it's, um, something that's ongoing. It's, it's a maintenance plan that I'm on. Um, but feeling that knowing that another lesson that my mother taught me was that God loves me as is. He loves me as I am, as he made me. And he doesn't make mistakes. Like I'm sure people have heard that before. Like God doesn't make mistakes. And when I very much felt like a mistake because I, had that like I don't belong maybe my dad's not my dad maybe this was an accident I see this causing turmoil I reminded myself constantly that no it's not a mistake I have a purpose I have a reason and God loves me as is as I am even with pimples even with this awkward body even with these you know sinful thoughts so like he loves me as is and it carried me when I you know when I hated myself and I hated my, my circumstances. I'm like, okay, there's something about me that's lovable. There's something about me that's, that's worthy. That's, that's calling me to another day. And I'm going to give it one more shot. I'm going to give it one more day. Mm -hmm. Um, and some, and you know, even now I revisit that same conversation, you know, when it, when I feel like it's just all too hard and it's all too overwhelming, it's like, but there's, there's still some purpose here. I have to, um, continue that journey. And I don't think that anyone really knows their full purpose or their their full you know mission or they don't complete the mission until they're dead. I think when you're dead, like that's it. Like okay, this is this was your time, and that's when you reach enlightenment, and that's when you know all the things to know. And until then, it's just it's you just do the work. And in doing that work, there's so many moments um, 
to be joyful and to be present and to be, you know, fully engaged in this really, really awesome, blessed experience that we have. So. Wow. Yeah. What about losing your parents at, at a young age? That is something that, you know, is obviously challenging and in the circumstances with, with yours made it even more so. But I think that's something that, you know, I haven't really talked about on this podcast, but so many people have to deal with. What kind of got you through that? Also, I'm sure you turned to your meditation there, but kind of what advice would you have or how did you, you know, pull yourself through that experience? Um, I probably didn't do it the healthiest way to, to be completely truthful. I was put in a position, um, I mean, my dad, <clears throat> my dad was different. You know, he was suffering with cancer for seven years. He was very sick. He was very tired and he was really ready to let go. Like he was done. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, we were ready to say goodbye. So it was more of a, a release and a relief when he passed and we were okay with that. I miss him. You know, I wish he was here to see my kids and see them grow. And I get sad when I think that, you know, <clears throat> I'm not really going to see him in the same way again, but, um, it was okay. Like that was okay. My mother was very different. Um, it was a shock. She was healthy. She was like in the, she was living life. Like when we, she passed, we had to go pick up artwork that she had just purchased. We had to cancel a chandelier that she was having commissioned. Like she was so active and she had so many things going on. We had to dismantle her garden. It was just, there was a lot that she did and she was really full of life. And, and there was unresolved things with us, but I, because my, my older sister was um, struggling with alcoholism and uh, you know my younger sister, my mom knew like she was a single woman who like had her own thing going on and you know she really didn't want to be bothered with like family stuff. She put me in charge. She named me the executor of her estate and um, I went into this mode instantly and she also asked me to take care of my older sister. And I went into this this mode of like I was a machine so I really didn't I didn't cry at all I didn't um really get to sit and think about it I went right into planning a funeral and making sure my sister was okay and um you know dealing with her estate and selling her things and selling her house and I didn't have any time to mourn or grieve or any of that and when I did it was kind of like more this it was like a it was like my body was just so overwhelmed that I would like burst out in tears, mm -hmm. but it wasn't anything that was thoughtful or mindful or me recognizing what was really going on. So I didn't really deal with it well. Um, I think my meditation practice, my prayer practice was a lifeline that just kept me holding on by a thread. Um, but there wasn't any deep healing around it. And I think that that's kind of something I'm experiencing now years later. Um, my older sister just got a job. She lost her job as a result of her, um, she got a DUI and that's what forced her to, to get clean. And she just got a job after being unemployed for two years. And I feel like I can, even though I shouldn't be responsible in all the things that we say to ourselves as adults, like we're not responsible for other adults and other people's feelings. I did feel responsible. I did feel like I needed to step into that role of, that my mother held. And, um, I'm finally able to let go and kind of be like, okay, I can, I can grieve now. I can think about this. I can visit this and, 
and sit with it. So yeah. I'm, I'm going through it now. So I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing with it now. Well, I think it's great that you shared all of that and that you're real because like that's what I want this podcast to be is like just these real moments to help people feel less alone, you know, and help me feel less alone. And I think the that vulnerability and authenticity is really needed and, and really great to hear and, and to just even hear that you – had all of that or have all of that on your plate when your mom passed suddenly as a mother of five and an entrepreneur and a wife and a friend and someone writing a book during all of that like so many things on your plate I I just can't even imagine so I think just hearing that and that you're a you know normal human being that it was a lot and that you would burst into tears I think I don't know I I find it comforting and cozy and makes me feel less alone to hear all of that. The thing is, there's no one way, you know, it's, it's, it'd be nice for me to be able to say that I took the time and I honored my grief and I sat in meditation and I sat in deep prayer and I really connected, but none of that's true. The truth is, is that my busyness kept me alive. Like me just kind of filling in the space that I needed that buffer. So I got pregnant again and I had my fifth baby and I said yes to a book deal. And I kept myself really busy because that's what I needed to sustain myself through that craziness of losing both my parents seven months apart. And it's okay that I did that. You know, it it really is. And, And I think that with meditation, people think it has to look a certain way and then therefore they think it isn't for them. I mean, that's meditation, it's yoga, it's so many different spiritual disciplines that people say, well, that's for her, that's for him, and it, and it doesn't resonate with me. And what I, my message is, is that, you know, happiness, love, you know, peace, calm, healing, all of the good things in the world, success, financial success, all of these things are really for you. They're for everyone. And when we break down the illusion of what things are supposed to look like or how they're supposed to come to us, then we can start accessing it in a way that works for us. Yeah. And that's what I offer with my meditations. Like my, me- my way is not the way, it's a way. It's a way that I, w- that I tried and worked. And I'd love for someone to try it and see if it works for them. If not, go try transcendental meditation. Go try like whatever, yeah. go sit in a forest and be by yourself and don't call it anything. Yeah. But, but know that it's for you. Like mm. that piece is for you. Oh, I love that so much. And I, I'm just, you know, I've always been such a fan and supporter of yours and because you're so real and honest and you're like, hey, this is what works for me. Try it. Mm. If not, that's cool. And you're so unattached. And that's why I think it's so attractive to people and so many people follow you. And so taking a step back to when you found that Ramdas text and, <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's how I feel about Ramdas and Abraham Hicks and your work and, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've found over the last, you know, five or so more than that now years I've been a seeker on you know into this sort of thing is that I'll read something or I'll hear something and I'll just be like oh yeah it is articulated something I know to be true like I don't know why but deep within me I just Mm -hmm. like that's true (laughs) and and so when you found that and had those moments when did you decide that you wanted to share meditation or share these tools and um, when did you start your blog? And I'm, I'm sure we kind of covered some of this in, in yeah. our first episode, but tell me again or remind me again. My, uh, I've been blogging since 1998 when I was, um, or 1997 when I was pregnant with my oldest 
uh, baby. <laughs> I'm sitting in her college dorm right now doing this interview. It's amazing. Uh, so I was pregnant with her and I just needed a community. I wanted to find other teen moms. And I joined this website called Girl Pages, like G-U-R-L from Sassy Magazine. And ah, cool. I, yeah. <laughs> and I started sharing my story. So I've always been connected like to the internet and the the blessing that the internet is. Like I love I thank God for the internet every day because I have truly found my people there. So I started that blog. Me too. And, yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, it's like it's I if people, you know, diss it, but I'm like it's 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 such a gift to our generation. Yes. Um, so I've always been, you know, making websites, doing stuff and and I uh was getting married and I started my wedding blog and I started sharing my fitness journey and different things I was doing and stories about my family and because I have no filter I started talking more about myself and my past and my anxiety and and I got this following I didn't expect it I didn't seek it it was never meant to be a job um, but people started following me and connecting with me and asking for more I really started off as a, a fitness and wellness uh, blog, and I got, I mean, it's a long story that I'm not going to tell, but I ended up getting a TV show, <laughs> and it was it was like kind of like right place, right time, um, me just having a little bit of courage and thinking, being a little bit, you know, audacious, um, but I got a TV show, and it was about meditation and yoga, and they said, do you teach meditation and I taught yoga I was a yoga instructor but I'm like um and I had this meditation practice but it wasn't traditional I'm like sure I teach meditation and they said can you do short ones and I'm like that's exactly what I do and Mm -hmm. I just took my practice and started talking about it on tv and because I wanted to continue this online I started making my um my meditation videos and what was originally four minute Tabata, which is a style of workout. It's a a high intensity, um, short burst workout. Um, and I had this series called you have four minutes and it was about these workouts turned into my meditations and it was, you have four minutes to meditate or for meditation. And I, because I wanted to, for the, the SEO purposes, get my audience to start watching the meditation videos too. And it just, it, blew up in a way that I was not expecting and it was like this gift from the universe because I could finally be like ah now I can talk about what I really do now I can talk about what I really believe because I was so scared to talk about my spirituality or say the word God or talk about my anxiety in like really intimate terms and this allowed me to do that and it just became so easy. Now I don't have to make these stupid workouts every single week that like I'm just tired of telling people, like there's only so many ways you can teach a jumping jack or a burpee and I was just over it and I was like, okay, now I get to talk about real stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the evolution of that's my really cool. That's really cool. So with going back to motherhood, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit because you have so much experience with that and... Yeah. I want to know, you know, your oldest, like you said, you're in her college dorm room right now. Summer Uh is two or summer. Summer is five, almost six. She'll be six in two months. And Annabelle is two. Annabelle is two. Yeah. I can't believe that. um, It's just like, I feel like you were just pregnant and I forgot that. It's crazy. Um, But yeah, so you have, you know, so many kids ranging from so many different ages. What was it like, you know, being 
pregnant, you know, when you're oldest with your oldest to being pregnant most recently with Annabelle and what have you learned in between and, you know, making your family, which I am just so inspired by. Your family is amazing and I kind of want you to adopt me. Um, with the goats. Yeah, I (laughs) would love that. That's like, talk about that in a moment, but what, what have you learned? Like, what has the experience of motherhood been for you, been like for you? And then also, you know, we talked so much about your childhood and the way you grew up. And so, you know, how did you take what you liked and what you didn't like? And kind of, it's a big, a lot of big questions there. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what? I can, I can boil this down. Well, first of all, I was a teen mom, but I was that, that, teen mom who did I, I I mean and I feel this is very universal among teen mothers and I connect How with them so much. I was 18 when I got pregnant okay. with um, Winona and I was out on my own and um, and now as a doula I offer free free services to teen mothers because Aww. I just love working with them so much but so <clears throat> the oh yeah I'm a doula too <laughs> so many things <laughs> going on so the so many, um, so many things all good things but I just didn't want to be, because I was so sick of being an outsider, I just wanted to be accepted and I wanted to just be the best mom that I could be. So I read every book, I watched every television show, I like took in all the information that I possibly could and I was determined to be the the not teen mom, you know, not that stereotype that people um, held about, you know, young mothers. And I think in my my just being naive and just being a little bit bold and I, it was a little bit of courage and a little bit of just just not knowing what I was doing but thinking that I did um it was it was a good experience like I really liked being a mom I like were you being scared mom. when you were 18 no. and initially found out you were pregnant no, I should have been, but I wasn't. I wasn't scared. I was excited. Um, my family was very supportive. My parents were like, you know, they, I, it was my ex-husband, um, I, my older three are from a prior marriage, and, and they said, you know, is he going to be around? Like, is he going to support you? And I said, yeah, like, he's he's totally in. And they were like, okay, great, you have our blessings. And I was very um, much supported by them. And um yeah, I wasn't scared. I, I fully embraced it. I loved being a young mom. I loved feeling like I was growing up and learning with my my little ones, and I loved um, I loved having that energy and that and that enthusiasm for life and learning. And I loved loving someone and feeling loved by someone. And I think that this is something very common with mothers, um, very much so with teen moms, young moms, because they're they're looking for that love. And it was just I just felt very. I felt important. I felt like I had a responsibility and I was doing a good job, which made me feel um, validated as a good person and as an adult. So I did a good job. I, yeah, I, yeah, I really did. I had, I had Winona, I had Calvin shortly after two years later, Jack was born um, three and a half years after that. So my first three, they were all little together and I, I felt like they were my little tribe and I just, I loved being a young mom. It was so much fun. So much mm-hmm. fun. Um, and like I said, I didn't know better. I didn't, I don't, I won't say that I didn't know better. I didn't know different. Yeah. And I, I say this all the time. Like, thank God the internet, like, and Facebook really wasn't a thing when I was a very young mom because I didn't fall into that comparison trap. Like I was able to go on message boards and find my people. I was able to kind of create my bubble, um, 
there was definitely no one like criticizing moms or no mommy wars. There was, it wasn't like that weird thing that, that, um, is happening now. So I got to make all my mistakes in private. I got to kind of grow and learn without thinking that I was doing something wrong. Um, it was, it was a beautiful thing. And by the time I was remarried and I had summer and then Annabelle, it was like, I felt like an expert. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I it's like no big deal. Um, it's harder now. I'll say the parenting is much harder now. It's like the more you know, the the harder it gets. Like the more you know, like how many bad things can happen in the world and in a day and just around the house. It's like it's you, and you you understand the gravity of life and how precious it is and fragile it is. It's like I'm a much more nervous parent now than I was when I was younger. Really? So I didn't know. Yeah, I just didn't know. I felt. I mean, everything was going to be okay. I was. Everybody was, you know, invincible, and um, I just never thought anything ever could ba bad could happen to me or my kids. And it was, um, it was really easy to have a lot of confidence. Yeah. So, so I think last time you gave the one of the best pieces of advice on my podcast that's always stuck with me about, and it's something that you know I tweeted after the episode where you talked about you know raising your kids and you don't raise them. To, I don't even remember exactly how you said it, but you're like, I, you don't raise kids to eat a certain way. You raise them to, you know, ha, l know things about nutrition or something. Or the way you said it was basically just to have them be chill. And you talked about body image and modeling good behavior around, mm -hmm. you know, your body and the messaging that you have. Did you, like, I'd love for you to elaborate on that as well as, you know, with meditation and with the way that you are the spiritual person and you know how you're connected how did that become something that you instilled in all of your children and, and how is it a part of the conversation now so a quote that I cut out I think I printed it out and cut it out and put it on my refrigerator when Winona was a baby was um my father did not teach me how to live he lived and let me watch him do it mm. and that informed my parenting from the very beginning now it's not to say that I don't lecture my kids <laughs> sometimes or a lot and I don't you know have rules and structure and things that I ex and expectations but it comes very much from a place of it's you know I have a job to do I'm your guardian really I don't have ownership over you and it was something that my mother told me like you belong to God you don't belong to me like he, I've, I'm being I was God kind of lent me to lent you to me and I have to give you back and I'm very mindful of that like I have to give these people back to the world and when they go out in the world are they going to not just be good and know how to act and know how to eat and know how to like you know write a business email but do they know how to figure stuff out do they know how to take care of themselves do they are they discerning people do they understand right from wrong from their core values not mine like I don't want them to be parrots uh, or puppets, I want them to um, really own who they are. So it's moments like, um, it's funny, I wrote about it on Facebook the other day, but my daughter, the oldest one, she like messed up something. In my eyes, she messed up something. And I got really annoyed and I texted her and was like, you did this wrong, come home, I'm gonna fix it. And she texted me back and was like, no, I got it, I'll figure it out, like I know what I'm gonna do. And then told me her plan of action. and. It was like, I consider myself to be kind of a, a, like a boss woman in my life and I can sometimes be intimidating and I like to be in control of circumstances. And she not only stood up to me, but she 
was like, your way isn't the best way. I actually have another way that I think is better. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I did it right. <laughs> like she's she's okay to live out in the world, and you know she shows examples of that in so many different ways. Like you know just taking ownership and responsibility of her college courses and her homework, and and figuring out how to pay for school. And she does that on her own with very little help from me, really, like very little guidance. Like I'm there if you need me, but I'm like the last. I'm like the last. You know. Uh, means of support. So like you might have to like fall a couple times before you get like I'm not going to let you like completely fall to your demise, but um I really want them to figure stuff out. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's and I don't want little me's. I want people who are going to challenge me and that are going to challenge other, you know, because I'm the toughest one in their life right now, but I'm by far not the toughest person they're going to meet in their life. And I want them to be able to stand up to people and and know their value and know their values. Um so that's important to me in raising kids. Yeah. Oh, all of that was really wise. What about <laughs> with meditation? Is that something that you've talked to them about? Is it part of their lives? Is it something that you've modeled? It's something that they know I do. Um, it's not something that I make them do. I try to teach them mindfulness more than you have to sit and you know be quiet or whatever. It's 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 like when they're talking to each other and I hear them going down like to a bad place where they're just, they're like bickering or they're fighting over doing the dishes or whatever. And I say, stop, think about what you're saying right now. How does that serve the situation? What kind of response do you think you're going to get by saying what you're about to say? Like it's that, like that, that check yourself before you wreck yourself, Mm -hmm. which is basically my morning meditation. Like I, I start with gratitude and you know what I want to do during the day and how I'm feeling and I just check in. It's That's what I want them to, to learn. And you can do that in, sometimes it only takes a few seconds. Sometimes you might have to sit with yourself for an hour, but just be, just sit and think. Like, is it like that, that, you know, is it kind? Is it, um, I forget what the whole, true. is it true? Like all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, to go through that little um, that little exercise with my the with the babies like the little ones it's like you know pause let's take a deep breath let's you know what Daniel Tiger says on his show let's you know when you feel so mad that you want to roar take a deep breath and count to four like things like that um, that's meditation yeah. it's just it's stepping back and and um, connecting with the moment and yourself oh, I love that when Another thing, you know, that I really admire about you is, you know, your philosophy with food and fitness and how that's evolved over the years. And and you just seem to have such a chill relationship with those things. But you're also so into, you know, you like you said, you have goats and you live in this you know beautiful way with your family and are are so connected with your food and, and the way you guys nourish yourselves. But you're also really chill about it and enjoy food and that's been a philosophy that I've admired in you over the years and, um, you know, seen evolve in you even, and I'm sure has evolved in in the way that you've, you know, brought up your kids. So what is, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy and how that's changed with you and, and how it's part of your motherhood? Um, I truly believe even though there are there are things that there are obstacles that we encounter that are learning experiences in this world. I feel like there's ease to there's an ease to life that you can tap into, and that is with eating too. God didn't put us here to suffer, or I don't feel like we were put here to suffer. I think we were put here to learn, 
and there's many different ways to learn. Um, I think we were put here to be joyful and to experience this world and experience pleasure and food is part of that pleasure. And I just have to always remind myself that um, to be in service to joy and to happiness is to be in service to myself in the highest way possible, highest and best way possible. So I was on a little bit of a cupcake diet over the past couple weeks, I have to admit, because my Aunt Kathy made me the most amazing homemade cupcakes ever. What she kind? Sent them, they were chocolate with chocolate frosting and a cream filling and Jimmy's like sprinkles on top. It was like a whole thing. It was, oh, yeah. it was just so many layers of like stuff that I usually don't put into my body. Um, but over the past couple weeks, like that one cupcake a day was really in service to my joy. Yeah. And when I, but conversely, I know that, you know, four cupcakes or actually it's, it's in the same line, four cupcakes a day would not be in service to my joy because it would make me sick or it would cause me to be uncomfortable in my clothes that I like to wear. Um, it would change my body in a way that, you know, wouldn't make me feel at ease. So I, um, before anything, before anything, my mini meditation that I do before I say yes to a contract, before I enter a new relationship, before I take a bite of food, I ask myself, how does this serve me? And when I'm asking myself that question, a cupcake may serve me in the same way that a vegan, you know, raw lasagna might the next day. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's just really about where I am in that moment. And, you know, food relationships are complicated. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about having an eating disorder or having really deeply rooted issues um, with food. All I know is that I've had a lot of stuff in my life, um, addiction, hurt, depression, anxiety, you know, like pain of loss, pain of rejection. And I know that my reaction to those things and the way that I choose to live my life is what has kept me going and kept me moving towards joy. So food is no, is not any different. It's that, you know, I could be weird about the way I look just like most people, you know, I could like not love my body one day. Um, and I could, you know, eat too much and regret it the same way anyone else does. But it comes back to a conversation instead of a punishment or a judgment. It's like, all right, well, that didn't work. Why did I do that? Am I going to do that again? What was I feeling? Um, it feels like so much work, but it's actually really easy. <laughs> like as I'm saying it, it's like all this work that you have to do to, to connect with yourself. But it becomes a habit that, and you feel so connected that you just feel really confident in all your decisions. And the food thing, I think like it's just a symptom, just like anything, any other behavior that, that's, um, that's self-harming. It's just a symptom of something deeper. You got to get to the deeper stuff. You have to have the deeper conversations to heal it. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so true. You know, when I'm happiest, everything with food in my body is just great and there's no issues. And, you know, when I'm having issues with body image or my clothes fitting differently either way or the way that I'm eating or feeling it's a sign of something else every single time and usually I'm not even aware of it because I'm so focused on the food thing that I'm like oh what I, I'm not even aware that of course it's something else in my life so it, all of that was articulated so well <sighs> 
we did it. <laughs> what about um, with motherhood, though? What, what about with parenting? Is that something that you've uh, just modeled for your kids? Is that something that you've had to kind of show them? With with the parenting bit, you know, it's it's hard for me to give. I can talk about my experience. It's hard to ever give parenting advice because I feel like I'm an expert in five people. You know, like right. I know my kids. I don't know anyone else's. Um, it goes back to that that truth for me. It's that, you know, they're all worthy people who were born with all the wisdom of the universe. Like, it's my job to teach them how to, you know, again, you know, tie their shoes, look both ways before they cross the street, um, you know, don't touch the stove. Like, those things, the worldly things, it's my job to provide that structure and that teaching for. But as far as, like, how to love, how to be, how to understand, how to show compassion, it's, they were born with it. Sometimes they lose it, like we all lose it, and they have to be reminded, and they can be reminded by my behavior and my example. Um, my example's always not the best, but it's, um, I try to let them know that I'm always trying my best, and that's all that we can ever be asked to do. Yeah. So, you know, I mess up all the time. Like, they, they threaten me sometimes. They're like, we're going to tell people what Beck's life is really like and, like, the behind <laughs> the scenes. And I'm like, whatever. People know that I'm crazy. Um, but... It's uh, it's just about just being honest and open and giving them the respect that they are thinking people. Like they're not, they're not, they have baby brains in terms of like like speech and you know what they can actually do and navigate the world. But they don't have baby brains as far as love goes, or as far as like you know what it means to be human. So I can, when I speak to them, I I have an expectation or I give them the respect that they understand because as a spiritual being there, I'm no, I mean, they could be older than me. They could be wiser than me. So I always uh, try to, you know, to uh, approach them with that. Um, and again, they're, they don't really belong to me. They're, they're God's children and I have to give them back and I have to treat them with care and I have to give them respect as, as kind of like sisters and brothers in this experience. Um, and not just my children. So what a healthy way to look at that. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's not like they never get yelled at and we don't, <laughs> the, the breakdowns don't happen, but it's what I remind myself of. It's my reset button. Yeah. That's where I go. Mm. So having five kids and everything mm-hmm. that you do online, how did you, what was your writing process like for writing this book and, and what was that experience like for you and how do you feel now that it's out? <laughs> I cried a lot. Um, I fit it in when I could. The thing, it's, it's funny because, because I've always had children. Like I, like I'll say, like I, I was a mom before I was a woman, 100%. So I really don't know another way. So people ask me like, what are your time saving tips and how do you manage time? It's like, I don't know. I just do whatever I have to do in the time that has to be done. Like it's, it's just, I've always had little people like kind of crawling on me and, and, um, I've always lived that life. So I, you know, it was, it was a struggle. Like I would wake up early, I'd write, I'd stay up late, I'd write, I wait last minute, I write a lot. Um, now that it's done, it feels like, I mean, at one point I wanted to give my advance back and say, forget it. Actually many points. Um, but it's done now and it feels good and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So I kind of did mine the same way and also had many times feeling that same way. So I think (laughs) that's just maybe as par for the course. Yeah. I think it's, I think all writers go through it. And, and I didn't even consider myself a writer. I was, you know, I'm a meditation guide. 
and you know, Ali and Imam, and I had this opportunity, and I was definitely going to take it, but it's not my first love. You know, writing is not my first um, go-to in, 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 in expressing myself and expressing myself. So it was a stretch for me, but I'm, it feels like an accomplishment. I'm glad I did it. I'm going to do it again. It's like pregnancy. Like, mm-hmm. it was painful. It's done, but you forget, and now I want to do it again. Now yeah. I have the bug. So. That's a perfect analogy for it, I think. <laughs> Do you, what are you most excited for people to get from this book? And, you know, how is it laid out? Or what do you want people to know about the book who are listening? My book, uh, the reason I love it so much is because it's, it's something, like, because for me, I'm someone who loves to have tools. I like easy tools at my fingertips. So you could flip to any chapter in this book. You can go right to the one that you need and start from there and totally get it. It's not something that you have to read the whole thing at once. You could um, you could bookmark something that you really love and go back to it later. I want people to like put this on their their nightstand and use it as a go to go to like a toolkit for um, spiritual connectedness. So if they're dealing with grief, they could go right to my chapter about grief, read some stories about my experiences, and then there's three meditations um, in the back that they can practice with the book a couple times and then do on their own and recall you know, whenever they need it. And uh, it's just, I just want people to have permission to feel good and to know, again, that it's for them, that there's someone out there that's just as crazy, that's just as scattered, that's just as overwhelmed, that had you know, a dark past too, and it's done dark things and experienced like bad stuff. And it's, um, I'm still very worthy and I deserve everything that I have right now. And I have a lot and that could, you know, that's for them too. Mm. It's so exciting. I'm so glad that this book exists and that people can have it and that you wrote it. And, uh, Bex, you're awesome. And I'm so glad that, that you did the podcast. Can we wrap up with some quick fire questions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. So some of these are the same and some of these are, are new ones that I have now and just different things. So we'll just do them pretty quick. But tell me your current and just, you know, I'm sure it changes all the time, morning and evening routine. So like the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and maybe the last three or four things you do before you go to sleep at night. Okay, so in the morning I wake up and very quiet with a whisper, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. And that was inspired by Baba Wayne G, <laughs> Wayne Dyer, <laughs> that I love so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I quick, depending on how bat, you know how much I need to go to the bathroom, I do a quick three-point um, gratitude check. So three things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's as simple as I'm grateful for this warm bed. I'm grateful for my husband sleeping next to me. I'm grateful for healthy kids, you know, like whatever it could be like, I'm grateful. I have beautiful skin this morning. I didn't wake up with a pimple. Um, so I do the three things that I'm grateful for. And then I have a quick prayer. Um, that is how may I serve and I get my answer quickly now because I, you know, I visit this connection constantly. So when you're connected to yourself, your intuition comes very, very quickly, or the message from the universe or God comes very quickly. So it's how may I serve? And um, sometimes that the answer is like, you know, 
write a really cool blog or make a new video or get on Facebook Live or you know smile at a stranger, or be nice to the lady at the post office, even though she's always rude to you. So <laughs> that's <laughs> even though she's terrible. So that's she's um, the worst. <laughs> she is the she really is. She really is. But she's been she's been coming around lately. I've been hearing rumors that she's been nice. So <sighs> I might head back there. So that's my quick routine, and then it's jump into my day. That's, you know, I do all my work and all the kids' stuff and, and everything else. What about in the evening? What are the last few things you do to wind down, relax, and before you go to sleep? Oh, it's nothing spiritual. Um, my husband and I are, you know, it's really important that I maintain a good relationship with him, like a, a close, intimate relationship with him. So every single night, no matter what, we spend it together on the couch. We'll put on Netflix or whatever we're binging on at the moment. And we usually, like, kind of pass out and it's like all right it's time to go to bed but every night um we spend it together we don't we like connect we have that connection um you know we're, we we really like each other i like mm. hanging out i love that <laughs> what has, what's something you've been really liking watching lately or any tv show you want to recommend the oa i'm i so jumped on that bandwagon and it's what amazing. is it the oa have you not seen no. it no no <gasps> this is on netflix Okay, it's on Netflix. You have to watch it. It's okay. part spirituality. It's part near-death experience. It's part afterlife. It's part science Whoa. fiction. Oh! Is it like a docu-series? No, it's a series that's created by the star. She's 29 years old. And oh, my God. The OA. Okay. Yeah, the OA. And um, when you find now. it, when you find out what OA stands for, you're, you're going to die. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. So I'm going to start watching, like, after this, probably. Yeah, it's good. Cool. What about a movie that you've seen recently or this year? Anything you want to recommend there? Star Wars Rogue One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so good. Star Wars was so, so, so good. I, I'm a sucker for fantasy and kind of, like, I don't love it so much in books, but for movies, I really like to have fun. And, um... That was one that I really enjoyed. I love science fiction. I love love stories and all that stuff. Hits all your notes. I feel like when the last Star Wars, before this recently recent one was coming out, I was talking to you on the phone and you were going with your family. So that oh. was just a funny connection. <laughs> I think maybe we were recording or I don't know, something. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Um, all right. So for these next ones, just say, like, top line first you know maybe one sentence about them first thing that comes to mind um what is the greatest lesson you've learned on entrepreneurship that it doesn't have to be one way and that money isn't the only um sign of success Mm. greatest lesson on self-care that you can't be happy or successful without it greatest lesson about motherhood or parenting Again, there's no one way to do it, and um, just lead with just lead with love. Lead with love always, and just do your best. Greatest lesson on relationships. <laughs> These are so hard. I know it's um, so hard to boil it down. You have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to buy into the idea that you're one, and that what happens to you happens to the other person. And if you don't do that. I don't, I don't think it's sustainable. Mm. What are you most excited about this year? My book actually coming out and being done with that part of the, the launch and, um, 
maybe getting another book deal. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> you heard it here first. Put it out in the universe. What's your favorite part of your life right now? Seeing my older kids become who they're going to be mm. as adults. So cool. Well, this was really fun. The name of the podcast has changed from the Wellness Wonderland Radio to Let It Out. So thank you for doing this. Is there anything else that you want to let out? Anything that you wish that I would have asked you about? Anything you never get to talk about that you want to just say right now? Anything you want to ask me? Anything at all that we missed? (laughs) (laughs) I think that I talked about all the things that I've never talked about. And I'm so grateful that you drew that out of me and we took this course as a conversation. I really, really love that. And um, I just... The, I mean, the only thing that I really need to, to let out is that I want to, people to know how deeply they are loved and how deeply they are needed in this world. If we have one purpose, it's to love, to be loved, to learn, and to teach. And all of us are in this classroom together, and all of us can emerge as teachers. We just have to look for the opportunities to do it. Like, you just are so needed in this world. Mm. That was such a good note to end on. Thank you so much, Bex. I love you. I'm so glad that I met you five years ago now, something like that, and that we're friends and we always will be, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, that was my conversation with Bex Life. She's amazing. I love her so much. I hope you did too. Now you're going to hear my conversation with David, who's one of the founders of Genexa, and take it away. Thank you again so much for being here, David. He is, for everyone listening, I'm talking to David Johnson, the CEO of Genexa, which is an amazing company that I'm so excited to to share with you guys. So can you tell me about your mission and how you came to work for this amazing company, David? Yes. So Genexa was founded about, and thanks for having me, Genexa was founded three years ago and the idea was to make medicine healthier. Um, Genexa is unique because it's, it's really focused on uh, the next generation, which is, which is really where the name came from. And the next generation now is, is so interested in the organic and the non GMO industry and the growth there. So going from the food sector to the beverage sector, to the the supplement sector, there was just such an opportunity in the over-the-counter medicine sector um, to really have the ability to reach out and, and make product healthier. So the Genexa was founded to, to remove all of the byproduct and a lot of the uh, synthetics and binders from, from product that's already in the market. Oh, wow. So how did you come to, did you start this company or did you come in, you know, when it was already founded? No, I'm actually one of the founders and um, I come from two naturopathic physicians and uh, I guess you can call our house the nuts and seeds home from birth. I love it. Lucky you. Yeah. And uh, my partner, he he suffered uh, seasonal allergies and every time he would take product that was already on the shelf, he, he would visit a doctor and the doctor would express to him that it happened to be that a lot of the byproduct that was in the, the product was, was what was causing um, the allergic reactions. You know, a lot of us don't realize that, that medicine 
is taken for the medicinal purpose. And the medicinal purpose of a medicine is, you know, a much smaller percentage than all of the, the binders and the parabens and the dyes and the food coloring and the, you know, everything that comes along with it. Oh, yeah. Wow. So working for this company, obviously you have um, different products and different product lines. Can you tell us a little bit about what they are and, um, you know, maybe what some of your favorites are? Yeah, so we have we have 11 products, three products for children and eight products for adults. They range from addressing sleep to stress, uh, to allergy, um, cold, calm keeper. Um, our, 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 our two products that, that everyone really um, enjoys are our sleep and our stress product. Is they, they really help. Um, and, you know, the stress product is really to, to help relieve stress and in, in an environment that that seems to be a bit stressful right now more than more than others yeah. uh, and um, and then calm keeper is, is really for children um, to, to, to help them you know calm as well and uh, we we carry one of the only organic arnicas on the market uh, actually the only organic arnica on the market which is really just uh, it's kind of a breakthrough in in the space Wow yeah so Let's talk about your stress relief product in particular. And I guess, obviously, your cold, fresh products are for, and you have a children's one and you have an adult one, and that obviously has a very specific purpose, much like, you know, a medicine. But with the sleepology product and the stress relief product, do those operate more like supplements, something that you would take every day? How do they work? They do. So the the stress relief one, you would, you would, you would take more like a supplement, um, you, but you would follow um, the, the, the drug facts on the back and, and basically take uh, take two, you know, every every eight hours as needed. Uh, sort of like you would take, you know, vitamin C or vitamin D. And so, then the, the sleep product would be right before sleep. Got it. So what makes these different from supplements? Because you call them medicine, but yeah, are, what's the difference? Because... To me, they're, you know, your products are all non-GMO project verified. They're USDA certified organic. Um, you know, what's kind of that? I want to know kind of, you know, why those things are important to you guys as, as a company and brand. Obviously, they're important to me and I'm sure my listeners. But, you know, what makes it different than a supplement? So the thing that makes it different than a supplement is is the, the regulation. So the... The, the FDA regulates um, the OTC space. The OTC space is, is made up of synthetic drugs as well as homeopathic uh, medicines. And that, that space is not like supplements. So supplements has, have supplement facts and um, the, the drug space has drug facts that address drugs and are regulated as drugs. So because, because our medicines um, are homeopathic medicines, they're regulated as a, as a medicine. And um, the supplement, the supplement industry is 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 different than than the the over the counter drug space. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. So, like I mentioned, your product products are all USDA organic certified and non GMO. Also, and really, and really, just so to, to elaborate, if, yeah, if I can, of course. on 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 those certifications, the the idea was to really make something that was healthier. So. You know, like I said, to, 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 we take medicine for medicine. So the whole idea behind the organic and the non-GMO 
was, you know, if we had to use, you know, like a rice bran extract to help in the formulation of a tablet, that rice bran shouldn't have, you know, GMOs and it, and it shouldn't have, you know, a whole bunch of sprays on it from that, that wouldn't qualify under the organic system. So, so we really went with both the certifications to really help, um, make sure that we were doing this as clean as possible, as safe as possible and as healthy as possible. And, and from there, you know, all the products are vegan and, um, gluten-free and we're also certified, certified B Corp. I don't know if you're aware of what B Corps are. Yeah. What, what does that mean? So certified B Corps uh, are really about um, a company that 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 has to qualify and get a certification. It's companies like Patagonia, Honest Company, that that really do. You know, you're in the industry um, as a business to to make money, but the the goal of B Corp is to really look at a company and and make sure that they're they're in business uh, for the greater good of society, meaning, you know, you're, you're, you're making something healthier. You're, you're giving back. One of the requirements is that you give back, which we give back to help with, uh, kids and clean water. So it's, it's kind of, you know, there's a whole bunch of tests that you got to do in order to get the certification, but it's, it's becoming more and more of a respected certification for companies. Oh, that's great. Congratulations on, on having that. That makes me love the company even more. (laughs) Can you talk about what the spread the health campaign is? Yeah, so that that that's what that's what it is. So the okay. spread the health campaign is is on top of B Corp, and you know it's really saying that we want to do our part to help make the world you know a healthier place. So the spread the health initiative was created to provide clean water and and health services for kids in need. So we donate um, we donate to those organizations through through Genexa. Oh, I love that! Gosh, I just keep loving your products and your company more and more every with every answer that you give so you like we were talking before we started recording live in LA but can people buy your products everywhere what's the best way to get them tell me everything yeah so you can we're, we're available uh, online at, at Amazon as well as our, our own website and um, I'll link that in the show notes too yeah and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll offer a, a discount through your through your show I'll just have to let let you know a discount code. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and, I'll, I'll put that um, right after this. Great. And then we, we, we're available in, in about 4,500 stores in the country. We're, we're located in, in the GNCs. <clears throat> we, we're in fresh time markets. Uh, I, think, I think there's one of those out, out, out where you are. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, fresh time markets, Lucky's markets. We're going to be launching into Whole Foods, uh, CVS. So we're really, you know, we're really pretty much we're we're available we're available throughout 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 the country. Oh, that's great! So convenient. Well, thank you so much for for doing the podcast for making these amazing products. I'm so excited about them. I'm so excited to try them, and I'm so excited to you know keep in touch with you guys and and keep sharing it with my listeners because again the company's doing the right things and focused on the right things and it's great to connect with you. So I want to ask you my. Final question, um, and this is kind of a throwback because my blog, my podcast used to be called The Wellness Wonderland before I changed the name. So when I offer that term to you, David, to live in a wellness wonderland, growing up as you did with your parents, what does living in a wellness wonderland mean to you? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Living in a wellness wonderland, it just, you know, it's, it's about... 
you know, just creating a, a healthier world and, and a safer place. And, um, you know, Genexa was really founded to, to spread the health and, and thank you for helping us spread it. Mm, thank you. This has been great. All right. I hope that you guys really enjoyed David as much as I did. He seemed like a delightful human being. And Genexa Health is something that I've gotten to try since that conversation. I love it. It's amazing. And if you want to try it, get the 15% off by using the link in the show notes and then also using the code Katie15 at checkout. That's Katie, K-A-T-I-E, 15, the numbers one and five. And you can get 15% off. Let me know what you think. If you don't, you know, need it, that's fine too. No worries. I just want to quickly thank our other sponsor for the show, Aptiv. You guys know Aptiv. You love Aptiv. They're, you know, the Netflix of fitness classes. There's 100 plus fitness classes added every single month on Aptiv. You can choose medium, easy, hard. You can choose long or short. It's really fun. I love fitness classes. Maybe we could all do one together sometime, like a live fitness class and we could all do it. And I don't know, that'd be fun. Anyway, the point is, if you want to try it free for 30 days, you can go to Aptiv.com and then you enter the code, let it out. That's what you do. You guys know what to do. Anyway, all right, I love you. Before I go, I just want to tell you who's coming up on the show next week. It's one of my favorite people ever. Again, a repeat guest, but a fresh conversation with the one, the only, Jessica Mernan. It's about, it's over two hours for sure. I haven't re-listened yet, but I'm really excited to. I love her so much. I, She's just one of those people who feels like home, you know, just as cozy and nice and Anyway, you'll get to hear from her next week. All right, in the meantime, the emoji for this week's episode, I'm looking at one of my plants, one of my really beautiful plants. So one of my favorite emojis, it's actually the emoji in my Instagram, but it's just like a green, oh, it's so hard to explain these because they're pictures, but you know, it's green, it's a leaf. It's like the one that's just like, it changed quite a bit when they changed the emojis when they updated them recently. But it's one of my favorite emojis. Just look at my Instagram. It's the one that says, like, my name, and then it has an emoji. It's like a green, beautiful flower. No, it's not a flower at all. I'm sorry. It's just a plant. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a leaf. I love it. It's my favorite emoji of all the emojis. So that's the emoji to tweet at me, Instagram comment at me, just to let me know that you're still here with me while I'm rambling. It's very late at night right now. I'm getting a little bit sleepy, a lot sleepy, actually. And I have to, you know, go to a fitness class in the morning quite early. Not I have to, but I signed up and I want to go. I'm pretty excited about it, actually. Okay, I love you guys. Um, Make sure you tune in next week. Check out the sponsors if you want to. If you don't, no problem. You know, it's just great that we have the sponsors because I love doing this podcast and they help me to be able to keep doing it. And thank you guys for being cool about there being sponsors. I, I love you guys. Join the Facebook group so we can talk more, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys then. All right, have a really great rest of your day, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Bye. Mm-hmm.